yesterday uh, was the last day of Jack's uh, upward, last day of your life. Yesterday was the last day of Jack's upward basketball season. Uh, and so we decided to have this year-end party for his team of third and fourth graders at Mr. Gaddy's. Now, I've noticed something about kids when you tell them you're going to Mr. Gaddy's. They get very excited. All right, if you don't know, Mr. Gaddy's is kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, but, but yeah, basically. But they get really excited about going there. Now, now, why is that? Why do they get so jacked up about going to Mr. Gaddy's? Well, I think it's because they think that there's a treasure of happiness waiting at Mr. Gaddy's uh, that's waiting for them to open there, all right? To use the language that's going to be in our text today, uh, and to use somewhat biblical language, kids get excited about going to Mr. Gaddy's because they think they're going to find blessing there. There is blessing waiting for them at that restaurant and in those games. So what I want us to think about this morning is, where does blessing actually come from? What would bring blessing into my life? What would actually bring, if, if I had it, what would bring security, uh, well-being, happiness, goodness, peace, comfort, blessing? What actually brings that into my life? Where can I find it? Where can I find blessing? Now, since we're in a church, if I asked you that question and told you to stand up and, and answer the question, you would get a very spiritual face and you would say, God, God is where we find blessing. And, and you would be right about that. But if I said, where are you trying to find blessing? You'd still get up and you'd say the same thing. You'd say God and be very serious about it, very spiritual about it. But what if I said then, um, prove it to me. Prove it to me that you're trying to find blessing in knowing God. And you said, well, how? And I said, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. And he said, uh-uh. <laughs> I said, no, really, prove it to me. Show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. Here's why. Because no matter what you and I say about where we're trying to find blessing, we all prioritize our lives in certain ways. We may not think about it consciously, but we do. And the way we spend our time and the way we spend our money are really indicative of where we think we're going to find blessing. If I put enough money into this, if I put enough of my time, and just my individual day, hour by hour, if I put enough time into these activities, then I'm going to find blessing. Now, this is not a thinly veiled attempt for me to try to get you to give more money and time to the church. That's not, that's not what this is. But what I want you to do is this. We're going to look today at where the Bible says we find blessing. And I'm going to finish this sermon, and most of you are going to kind of say, yeah, that's kind of right. I don't do that very well, but that's right. You're going to agree with me. What I want you to do is sometime over the course of the next week, go home and actually do this. Look at your checkbook or your credit card statement, and look at your calendar. I think especially look at your calendar. And ask yourself, do I really believe what I say I believe about where I'm going to find blessing? What, what do these things say about what I practically believe about where blessing for my life really comes from? So, um, that's like the end of the sermon at the beginning. But that, that's, that's what I want you to do with this uh, this week. So, Genesis 11, 27 
through 12, verse 9. Now, this is God's word. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Isaac. Iska, sorry. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the yoke of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. We pray for us. Uh, Father, there's a a lot of words and a lot of people in there we may not know about or or know how to pronounce. Um, But Father, this is one of the foundational texts in all of your scriptures. Uh, It really opens up a window to us about what you are doing in the world and how you delight to bring blessing and how that blessing comes about. So, Father, uh, help us to work through this and to understand it and to be blessed as a result of that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of this. Uh, You guys know I enjoy listening to Tim Keller, and I'm, I'm, I'm ripping a lot of this sermon off from him today. But there's actually a reason for that. And the reason is, in your community groups, along with the email telling you which group you're going to be in, there's also going to be a, a Bible study attached to it. And it's a 30-day Bible study, uh, and it's called Gospel Neighboring. And so what we're going to work on for the first part of our community groups is how can we actually be neighbors to the people around us. And the study will start, it'll say May 1st, which means Tuesday of this week, okay? Um, that's that's what, it, what it'll mean for you. Uh, it's a 30-day study. And what I want you to do is to work through these studies. There are three questions each day in one text in preparation for the community group each week. The first work week, it asks you to listen to a sermon by Tim Keller on this text, which I really think sets up the whole Bible study. And, I know, and I'd love you to listen to it this week, but I know you might be too busy, so we're going to talk about it today. And then go back and, if you can, go back and reinforce it by, by listening to, the, to his sermon as well. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing here, but I wanted to, to, to throw that out uh, at the beginning, that this really is meant to set up 
the Bible study, we're going to work through the devotional we're going to use in the first month uh, of community groups. So, that out of the way, what about this passage? There's a lot going on here, right? Um, and it really is one of the key passages uh, in, in all of Scripture. But, but here's what it boils down to in terms of what we're thinking about the day, in terms of blessing. Blessing comes from God... And it flows into our lives and the lives of the people around us as we respond to his gracious call in faith and obedience. Blessing comes from God and it flows into our lives and then out of our lives and the lives of the people around us as we respond to his gracious call in faith and obedience. And the key element in all of this really is the call of God that breaks into our lives. And so what I want to do is to look at just a few things about this call of God in this text. Uh, First of all, we're going to see that it's a gracious and a necessary call. Then we're going to see that it's a powerful call. And then finally we're going to see that it's a troubling but a hopeful call. So that's where we're going with it. First of all, it's a gracious and a necessary call. Um, Let me set this up a little bit for you because in order to understand this, you really need to understand a little bit of the story of the Bible up to this point. You really need to understand a little bit about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So here you go. You ready? Uh, God creates man and woman. He creates Adam and Eve. He makes them in His image. He gives them a job to do, to, to care over the earth, to be stewards of the earth. And they are to enjoy His blessing as they do this. But as the story goes, they rebel against God. They start to to doubt His goodness to them. They start to to question His Word and His authority. And so they rebel against their Creator and their King. The result of this is that their relationship with God is broken. And their relationship with other people is broken. And even the way they think about themselves is broken. It's all messed up. And the whole earth comes under God's wrath and curse. And so it's a very bleak scene. But there are glimmers of hope all all along the way through these first 11 chapters of Genesis. God promises right off the bat to one day crush the serpent, to crush Satan who has tempted Adam and Eve and led them astray. He makes clothing for Adam and Eve. He shows his kindness to them. Uh, The human race starts to move forward. They build cities. They develop musical instruments. They write songs. But there's also more and more sin Cain kills his brother Abel. In fact, there's this downward spiral of violence until the earth becomes so corrupt that God decides to wipe it out in the flood. uh, And he wipes out everyone except Noah and his family. Noah and his family get off the ark after, after the flood is over with. And God tells Noah and his family to be fruitful and to fill the earth. And it's a repetition of what he has told Adam and Eve in many ways. Be fruitful and fill and subdue the earth. And it kind of feels like this fresh start for humanity, right? But then what happens next? Uh, People start to fill the earth until, in Genesis 11, they get to this place which becomes known eventually as Babel. And here's what happens in Genesis 11. Uh, Men and women say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And then God sees this and he responds to it and he comes down 
and he scatters people all over the earth and he confuses their languages. And so what you have here is this continual picture of rebellion against God. And you're thinking, here we go again. And so here's this cycle from Genesis 1, to, 1 through 11. You see glimmers of hope, but then the human race continues to spiral downward in sin. Now one of those glimmers of hope throughout these first 11 chapters was probably the biggest glimmer of hope. Uh, and it was the family uh, of Seth. Adam had a, had a son named Seth. And while the line of Cain, Cain and his descendants seem bent on destruction, Seth and his family are those who actually call upon the name of the Lord. They actually worship God. And so in the midst of all this chaos, there's hope because there's one family, it seems like, that is bent on actually worshiping God and walking with Him. There's a godly family line. This is the way, no matter how bad things get in this family the knowledge of God is going to be preserved on the face of the earth now that gets us to where we are in our text today by the time we trace this godly family line of Seth to Terah and to Abraham these descendants of Seth things are starting to look bleak again now you may not see this readily in the text But the name Terah, uh, Abraham's father, the name Terah actually means moon. It means moon. Okay, so. Well, his name means moon, and Ur of the Chaldeans, where they're from, where where they're staying, is actually the home of lunar worship in that world. And so the picture that's being painted for us is that in this godly family line, the light's almost gone out because Abraham and, and Terah have actually become moon worshipers. Now, you say, oh, I don't know about that. Well, if you look in Joshua chapter 24, what you'll read is, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, and it points to Terah and his family, and it says they served other gods. That this is the point that even the family, the good family, this is where they've gotten to they are actually serving other gods. And so the human race is in, is in trouble here. The knowledge of God is about to be extinguished from the face of the earth. There's a spiritual barrenness, and it's reinforced in the text by the fact that Sarai, or Sarah as she would come to be known, is actually physically barren as well. And so there's, there's really no human hope for anything good to happen here. And I know I'm belaboring this point, uh, but you've got to understand that the situation that the human race is in at this point is absolutely hopeless. There's there's nothing they can do about it. If you've seen the movie, uh, The Book of Eli, which tries to to paint a picture of what the world would look like if there was no Bible, that's where we're headed at this point. The earth is on its way to looking like that, right? to a spiritual zombie apocalypse, so to speak. Right? Um, that, that's how bad things are at this point. But God, God does something. God intervenes. God speaks. God calls Abraham in the midst of this. And suddenly there begins to be hope. Otherwise, there's no hope for for Abraham. There's no hope for the human race. 
But God calls. And it's an absolutely gracious call. Abraham hasn't done anything to deserve it. It's completely undeserved. And it's also absolutely necessary. But God calls them. God calls in the midst of this. Now, let me say a couple things about this. If you've heard the call of God, uh, if you've responded to the gospel message and, and come to know God, do you understand how completely undeserved that call was? That you were without hope and without God, and God spoke into your life and called you. He was amazingly kind to you. He was amazingly generous to you. He was amazingly gracious to you. How should that affect the way you think about God? How should that affect the way you think about yourself? How should that affect you think about other people around you who don't know Him? Uh, secondly here, we're a Christian church. If you didn't know that, that's we're Christian. Um, and we have Christian families. And we want to see our children grow up in the knowledge of God. And so what do we do? We do these good things. We read the Bible to them. Uh, we pray with them. We pray for them. We send them to youth group. We try to set them an exa a godly example. But unless they hear the call of God, they'll just be nice little idolaters like Abraham. They'll have a veneer of religiosity, of of morality. But unless the call of God comes into their life and shakes them up and grabs them, then they'll be generically religious people who devote themselves to profit or to pleasure or to success. They'll live for something besides God unless the call of God comes into their life. Unless He grabs hold of them. The call of God is absolutely gracious and it's also absolutely necessary if we're to know Him. Uh, secondly here, or thirdly, depending on how you want to count, uh, the, the call of God is powerful. Right? This is the text from, from Joshua again. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other gods. And yet God intervenes in Abraham's life so that through Abraham, this former idolater, all of the other families of the earth are actually blessed through this powerful call of God. Now, uh, we're in this series on the mission of the church. We've been talking about the mission of the church, about going and making disciples and, and, and commanding, teaching them to do everything that Jesus has uh, commanded. And I think most of us would agree that for somebody to be brought into a relationship with God, that they need to hear the call of God. And that that call of God is gracious. And that that call of God is undeserved. And we believe those things. Most of us probably do. But do you also believe that the call of God is powerful? Do you believe that you serve a powerful God who is able and willing to draw people out of darkness into light? <coughs> to take idolaters and turn them into people who actually worship Him. Uh, Jack Miller tells a story of doing a conference at a church when he was talking about the Gospel and the power of the Gospel. And they had a Q&A session afterward, and the minister of the church stood up and he said something along the lines of, Jack, you, you can't be serious of this. You've got to be mistaken. 
to believe that the gospel can possibly change people who are mentally disturbed, are, are people who are suicidal, are people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol, are people who are inclined to be criminal. I mean, yeah, the gospel can help ordinary people like you and me, but it really can't change people like that. And Jack Miller said he had to, to go home and ask himself, do I really believe the gospel can change anyone who believes it? And then he had to start acting on that and getting involved in hopeless people's lives, talking to them, praying for them, fasting for them. Do we believe the call of God is powerful? Do we believe that the gospel can actually change anybody? Anybody? Anywhere? Uh, Who in your sphere of influence, the people you know, the people you have relationships with, who have you kind of, you know, maybe you were praying for them for a while, but now you've kind of given up on them. Or you pray very sporadically. Because what you've said to yourself is, that's just kind of the way they are. And they're, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just not going to change. Nothing's going to be different. That's just the way they are. God's call is powerful. God's call can change anybody. Do you believe that? And if so, are you praying that God's call, that God's gospel would be changing people? Who are you praying for fervently? Who are you fasting for? Do you believe that God and that Jesus in the Great Commission has sent His people on a fool's errand when He said, go and make disciples? Or do you believe that a powerful God intends to change people through His powerful gospel? call of God is powerful. It's gracious. It's necessary. It's powerful. It's also troubling and, and at the same time hopeful. All right, that's an interesting combination. Uh, look again. Let me read 1 through 3. This really is the heart of what we're looking at. Chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what's God say here? How does he start out? It's kind of interesting. He says, go from your country. Um, In the old King James... It actually says, get thee out. All right? Get thee out. And God is saying to Abraham, it's time to go. It is time to go. And I have this picture in my mind of in the Fellowship of the Ring where, where Gandalf is standing and he's telling the Balrog that it's not going to come, come across the bridge and capture everybody, destroy everybody. And he says, you shall not pass. And maybe it's a little bit of an overstatement, but that's kind of how I picture God saying this to Abraham. Get thee out. Abraham, it's time to go. Well, why? Why does he he need to tell him this? Well, if you go back to chapter 11, they're actually all on their way to Canaan. They're, They're headed in the right direction. But when they get to Haran, what does the text tell us? 
They settle there. They settle there. And it's not enough to go halfway with God. It's not enough to go halfway with God. Uh, Think about things that Jesus says in the New Testament. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I mean, do you you hear it there? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, get thee out. Get thee out. See, I've got this this fear uh, that the South, that Southern churches are full of people who've made some sort of profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but they've really only come about halfway. They've never really given up control of their lives. Jesus is not really their Lord. He's just a decision that they made at summer camp. He's just a a box that they checked one day after church. They're counting on that decision to be their get-out-of-hell-free card. And God says, you've got to leave. You've got to give up control, and you've got to follow me. And that's troubling, isn't it? The call of God is troubling because it's actually a call to leave. It's also troubling because we're never sure exactly where he's taking us. Abraham is told, go that way. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. But he's not exactly sure where he's headed. You know, a lot of times when when people are considering Christianity, uh, what they'll say is, where's this going to take me? Where am I going? Am I going to have to give up my sexuality? Am I going to have to give up my view about whatever? Am I going to have to give up my boyfriend? What am I going to have to change about my life? Tell me that, and then let me see if it fits with my view of the world. And if it does, then I might try it on. And God says, you've got to leave. You've got to leave and follow me and I'll show you where you need to go, and I'll show you the changes that you need to make. But until you get to the point where you're willing to do that, you really haven't decided to follow me. You're still trying to to, to run your life and run the universe and to remain in control of everything. Leave Abraham, and I'll show you where you're going. That's the Christian life. And it's, and it's troubling. And, and I really want to suggest here that, that, that all of us in ways are like Abraham and we're like Tara. We all have this tendency that we want to go halfway and stop. We're also like the people who built the, the Tower of Babel. Uh, we want to, we're prone to stop and to build a tower for ourselves. Why? Why do we want to stop and build a tower for ourselves? Because we want blessing for ourselves. We want a name for ourselves. We want comfort for ourselves. We want security that that tower brings for ourselves. And so some of us do journey out into the world, but it's only to make a name for ourselves. Others of us 
withdrawal and this anxious attempt to find security and comfort in an insecure world. Or maybe we just stop halfway because we're trying to stay in control. We can't stand the thought of, of losing that illusion of control. And here's what that all reveals about us at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it reveals that we have more confidence in ourselves than we do in God. We have more confidence in ourselves than we do in God. What we're saying to ourselves subconsciously is, I can bring more blessing into my life by building my tower and fortifying the walls and by keeping everyone else at safe distance than I can by heeding the call of God. But in the end, that burden, that burden of control, that burden of self-protection is too much for us to bear. In the end, we're still anxious and fearful. And it's not that we haven't fortified our tower strongly enough. We're anxious and fearful because at the end of the day, our trust is in ourselves and not in God. We're anxious and fearful because we're refusing God's call to get thee out. Quit trying to provide comfort and security for yourself. There's a third reason the call is troubling. Uh, God is going to bless us as we leave and we follow Him, but He's blessing us in order that we can bless others. And what that means is, is if you respond to the call of God, the focus of your life is going to shift to how can I obtain blessing for myself to how can I best bless other people? How can I be a blessing for others? And what that means, what that means is that the way you make decisions begins to change. Uh, you think about things differently. Decisions aren't made any longer on the basis of what's comfortable for me, what's going to work the best for me, um, what's safe for me, what's easy for me, but how can I live? And where can I live? And what kind of work can I do that will bring blessing into the lives of other people? It's a troubling call, isn't it? Because it's a call to, to leave. We're not sure where we're going. It, it flips around the way we think about life. We, we, start to, we have to think about being a blessing to others. But it's also a hopeful call. It's a hopeful call. Because it's a call that promises you the very blessing of God. It's a hopeful call because it shows you, even after 11 horrible chapters in Genesis, that God hasn't given up on this world. It's a hopeful call because it shows that God hasn't given up on you. It's a hopeful call because it tells me that I don't have to be in control. And I don't have to make myself secure. And I don't have to make a name for myself in order to find blessing. I don't have to spend my life carrying a burden that's too heavy for me to bear. If I want to know God, if I want to know the blessing of God, I simply have to leave my shelter and run to the shelter that Jesus Christ provides. I have to leave and follow Jesus and experience the blessing of knowing Him so that I in turn can then be a blessing to others.
Get out. God says, get out. Quit trying to bless yourself. Go bless others and I will bless you so that indeed you can be a blessing. Wow. It sounds, on the one hand, it sounds kind of idealistic, right? Uh, and, and on the other hand, it sounds really, really hard. Uh, how can I ever surrender to the call of God? A call like that. That's, that's hard in ways, that's troubling in ways, it's also hopeful in ways. Well, God made these promises to Abraham to make his name great and to make him a blessing, to make him a great nation, to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. He promised him descendants. But uh, there was a problem there. Sarah, his wife, was unable to have children. And first, Abraham, that had to change. And first, Abraham had to have a son. And And God is telling Abraham, you need to live by faith that I'm going to give you a son. You can't make your name great. You can't make yourself a nation. You can't be a blessing to the nations. You can't bless the world. But I will through your son. And so Abraham had to keep his eye on God's promise to bring him a son. Blessing to the world would come through Abraham's son. And ultimately, God does bring blessing to the world through Abraham's son. But it's not just Isaac. It's his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ, in a way that nobody before or after ever has, responded to the call of the Father. And He left. What does the song say? He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? If you're going to heed the call of God in your life, you've got to keep your eye on the Son. On the Son who purchased greater blessing and security for you than you could ever hope to construct for yourself. Will you leave? Will you leave your towers of man-made blessing and follow Him? If you will... He promises not only to bless your life, but the life of the people around you. Uh, some of you may remember the movie Indiana Jones, and I think it's the, the Last Crusade. Uh, there's a scene where Indiana has to cross this great ravine, all right? and there's treasure on the other side. But first he's got to cross this ravine, and he's got no way to get across it. But he's figured out that somehow he needs to, to take a step out. And that when he takes a step out, something's going to happen to get him across to the other side. But he's not sure what it's going to be. He just knows this is what he needs to do. And so finally, he takes a step out and he puts his foot down and there was a narrow stone bridge across the ravine that was invisible. And when his foot hits it, each stone comes to light. The rest of it's still invisible. And so he takes another step and there's a stone under him. And another step. And there's a stone under him. And he walks all the way across the ravine. In order for us to leave and follow Jesus Christ, 
we do have to believe that taking those steps of faith will bring us blessing. We have to believe the gospel promises that God intends to bless us. So we have to know something that's true about God in order to take that step of faith in the first place. But there's also a sense in which we have to take that step of faith. We have to step out. We have to leave before we can ever experience the reality and the truthfulness of the promises. Because otherwise, they may be true, but they're just kind of theoretical in our minds. Leaving is where you find that your faith is no longer theoretical, that it's actually real. Leaving is the point where you walk away from the anxiety and the fear that your drive to provide comfort and security for yourself creates. Leaving is the place where you walk into freedom from fear and into delight and into the blessing that only God can provide. Leaving is the point. Stepping out on faith is the point where you finally experience blessing yourself. You're never going to experience it. It's always going to be theoretical until you step out and leave and begin to experience blessing yourself and begin also to be a blessing for others. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, I pray that we would hear your call and that we would believe your call and that we would step out on faith and heed your call. God, help us to leave. Help us to leave and to follow you so that we may be blessed and be a blessing to others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.